Well, thank you for that time. It is good to see you this morning. We are wrapping up our series of messages in the New Testament book of Philippians. This sermon series that we've entitled, Life Doesn't Have to be Perfect to be Wonderful. You've heard that phrase week after week after week. I hope it hasn't been lost on you because it really is an incredible statement. It's an incredible statement because we all know that life is not perfect. Far from it. There are challenges, there are struggles, there are disappointments and hurts and failures. We are surrounded every day by imperfect people and we find ourselves in the midst of imperfect circumstances. So we can either focus on the imperfections, the problems and the frustrations and the struggles, the things we don't like, the things we don't agree with. And if we do that, I can promise you life will not be wonderful. Or we can really begin to take to heart the many things that Paul has been telling us in this letter. And we can begin to focus on how God wants to use our lives and our life circumstances to advance the gospel. We can become servants. We can start loving people from the heart. We can start praying positively for people. We can begin living lives that are worthy of the gospel. We can stop complaining. We can cultivate the mind of Christ. We can begin to imitate Christ. We can begin to practice the presence of Christ. We can become genuine worshipers. And we can begin rejoicing in the Lord. All of these things that Paul has been telling us. You see, it's our choice, isn't it? It's your choice. And it's my choice as to whether life is going to be woeful or wonderful. And Paul has been hammering out that truth for us every week in every verse that we have looked at in this book. And now as we come to these concluding verses, he is doing it again by telling us how to live above life's circumstances, how to find real joy and peace, how to live with a sense of real meaning and purpose in life no matter what our circumstances are. Last week, if you were here, part one of this message I gave you the two keys to being able to live above life's circumstances. There are only two things you need, Paul says. If you want to experience the reality that life can be wonderful even with all of its imperfections. If I want to be able to live above life's circumstances, all I really need, number one, is contentment in life. And all I really need, number two, is confidence in God. You see, if I have contentment in life, if I am satisfied with who I am 
and with what I have. And if I have confidence in God, if I am really secure in who God is and what he can do, then nothing in life can throw me. Nothing can discourage me. Nothing can overwhelm me. If I'm content in life, and if I have confidence in God, then life can be truly wonderful, even when it's not perfect. So, last week we spent our time talking about discovering the secret to contentment in life. This morning as we wrap up these verses, we're going to spend our time focusing on what it means to have confidence in God and how I can have that kind of confidence in God. So let's just go ahead and look at this, this secret of having confidence in God. Now I want to say something here before we look at this. When I, when I talk about having confidence in God, I'm not talking about just believing that God is real and that He is what His Word says He is and that He can do whatever it is He wants to do. Now, I'm talking about, when I talk about having confidence in God, I'm talking about believing that God is real, believing that He is who He says He is and that He will do whatever it is I need for Him to do in my life. I'm talking about having the rock-solid assurance that whatever need I may have in my life, whatever it is, that God will meet it. I'm talking about knowing with absolute assurance and unshakable confidence that when I need God to come through for me, He will come through for me. You say, preacher, how, how can you know that? Glad you ask. Because the Bible tells me he will do that. Look at these verses here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 20. Paul writing to the Philippians says, You've done well to share with me in my affliction. For you yourselves know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus now to our God and Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, when we talk about having confidence in God, believing that God is God, that He is 
who his word says he is, and that he will do for me what I need for him to do for me. The key verse here that we're looking at is Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Look at it again with me. I pulled it out. Philippians 4, 19. Paul writing says, And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now don't forget this. These words were not written by a man who was having an easy time of it, right? When Paul wrote down this promise, and it is a promise that God will meet my needs. When Paul wrote down this promise, he wasn't sitting in a penthouse. He wasn't on a cruise ship. He wasn't living it up somewhere. He was in prison. He was waiting to see whether or not his head was going to be cut off. Everything that could be taken away from Paul had been taken away from him. His friends, his finances, his freedom, his ministry, all of that gone. We know he was cold. We know he was hungry. We know he was lonely. He was chained day after day to a Roman soldier. His circumstances were some of the most difficult circumstances I can imagine. And yet Paul writes and he says here in Philippians, I know I've got a problem. I know I've got these needs in my life. I know it looks like I'm in an impossible situation. I know I'm dealing with some unbelievable circumstances. But I know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God is going to come through for me. That's what Paul was able to say. This is an amazing statement. So I want us to look at it this morning. I want us to break it down a little bit because what Paul is telling us here really is staggering when you come to understand what it really is he's trying to communicate to us. So I've taken this verse. We're going to break it down a little bit and look at four different aspects of it. First of all, I, I, and, I, and I've got some words underlined here that are key ones that are going to help us. Paul says, number one, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Now, how many needs does Paul say God will meet in your life and my life? How many? All, right? Not a few, not some, not even most. Paul says, all my needs. That means everything, right? Financial needs, physical needs, mental and emotional needs, relational needs, health needs, job-related needs, marital and family needs. It does not matter what my need is, doesn't matter how big it may be, how overwhelming it may seem, Paul says, my God will meet, how many? All your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's the first thing. Amazing. All of my needs, every single one of them, Paul says, God will 
meet. But look at this, secondly. Paul says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. The words, my God, are critically important here. This is not just God, okay? We're not talking about some God out there, impersonal, remote, detached from my life, someone that I don't think about very much except on Sundays. No, Paul is talking about my God, my God, talking about God as he is known in my own personal experience. So I have to say to you, don't get too excited about this verse if you're not walking with him. Don't get too excited about this verse if you're not seeking him daily. If he's not doing his work in you moment by moment. If there is no intimacy between you and God. Paul says, my God, the God I worship, the God I serve, the God I walk with day in and day out, this God, my God, will meet your needs. Very important. Thirdly, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. It has often been pointed out, and rightly so, that this verse does not say God will supply all of my wants. Does not say he will give me everything I desire. Our wants sometimes go far beyond our needs, right? In fact, they usually go far beyond our needs. The great Canadian-American pastor and preacher, Dr. Harry Ironside, pastored the historic Moody Church in Chicago, used to say that it delighted him to walk through the big department shows, through the big department stores in Chicago because it was always such a comfort to him to see so many things that he could absolutely get along without. Now that is usually not the case for most of us. I mean, even a quick trip through Walmart, oh man, I need that. You know, gotta have this. There are so many wants in our lives and so relatively few real needs. And I have to leave the interpretation of what is a need to God because sometimes it's hard for me to see the difference between a want and a need or even a whim. The, the Lord, Paul says, will meet my need and he promises to meet all of my needs not just my physical and material needs but every need in every realm of my life my need for love my need for purity my need for inner peace and security my need for meaning and purpose and significance that's what God's about meeting the things in my life supplying the things in my life that I really and truly need And then finally, Paul tells us 
my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Now the wording here, church, is really significant. Paul does not say God will meet my needs out of His riches, but according to His riches. There's a big difference. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Bill Gates is probably the richest man in the world. I I checked his net worth this past week. It keeps fluctuating depending on what the stock market does, but somewhere upwards of $100 billion is what the man is worth. I saw a calculation the other day that says Bill Gates earns somewhere around $150 every second and that it would be a poor investment of his time if he were to stop and pick up a $100 bill if he happened to drop one. (laughs) I can't imagine. But let's just take him for an example. If he wrote me a check, for $1,000 and gave it to me. He would be giving to me out of his riches. The man's a multi-billionaire, gives me $1,000, for which I would be very grateful, but gives me $1,000. He's giving to me out of his riches. But if he took out a check, signed his name to it, and handed it to me, a blank check, and said to me, Alan, this is for whatever you need. You fill in the amount. Then he would be giving to me according to his riches. Philippians 4.19, church, is essentially a blank check from God. The one who has unlimited resources, the one who has an inexhaustible supply is saying to you and me, here is my promise. I will give you whatever you need. Now here's the question. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? Do you have that kind of confidence in God to know this morning that whatever your need is, God is going to come through for you. Do you have that kind of confidence in God? Or do you feel like maybe you're in a situation this morning where your needs are not being met? Maybe you're struggling with something right now. You're worried about something this morning. And you're you're thinking, God, you haven't met my need. You haven't come through for me. You haven't solved this problem. You haven't resolved this difficulty. You haven't answered this prayer. So what's the problem? Is God a liar? Is his word not true? Is Philippians 4.19 just offering us some kind of false hope? No. There is a secret here, church. 
There is a secret to being able to have the kind of confidence in God that you know he's going to come through for you when you need him to come through for you. There is a secret. So I want to walk you through it this morning so you understand how you can come to this place of confidence. Number, number one, the f- first thing I want to say to you is you need to remember the importance of context when you look at a verse like Philippians 4.19. If you were here last Sunday, you remember we looked at another one of these incredible verses, Philippians 4.13, which says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I warned you, be careful with this verse that you don't lift it out of context. That verse does not mean you can do anything you want to do that God's going to enable you to deal with anything that comes your way. That, that verse was spoken, written in the immediate context of being able to live a life of contentment. Paul said, I'm able to be content through Christ who strengthens me. And we need to be very careful that we don't divorce that verse from that particular context. Even though God does enable us and empower us to do whatever it is he wants us to do, that's not really what Paul was saying in that particular Verse. Well, the same holds true here when we come to Philippians 4, 19. You can't, you can't just pull Philippians 4, 19 out and claim it and say, God, you've promised you'll meet all my needs. It doesn't work like that. You see, what most of us have not understood, or many of us have not understood, is that Philippians 4, 19 is a conditional promise. It is not an unconditional promise. Now, do you know the difference between a conditional promise and an unconditional promise? Let me explain it this way. When my kids were little, I would often say to them something like this, hey, kids, tomorrow's Saturday. Let's have fun. So tomorrow night, I'm going to take you to your favorite restaurant, and then afterwards, we'll, we'll go out and we'll get some ice cream. How does that sound? Yeah, that's awesome, Dad. Well, that was an unconditional promise that I made to my kids. There were absolutely no strings attached to it. I wanted to do it for them just because they were my kids. So I told them I would do it, and I did it. That's an unconditional promise. But... If I said to them, as I often did, okay, kids, tomorrow's Saturday, there's a lot of work to do in the yard. (laughs) So if you guys will help me get that done in the morning and in the afternoon, then tomorrow night, I'll take you out to your favorite restaurant, and then we'll go get ice cream. Now, that is a conditional promise. There were strings attached, (laughs) A conditional promise depended upon my kids meeting some conditions first. In this case, helping me with the yard work. And if they didn't meet the conditions, then I was under absolutely no obligation to keep my promise. You with me? So here's the deal. I cannot take Philippians 4.19 and apply it to my life unconditionally with the promise verse 19 my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus with the promise there is a premise there is a condition 
And that's what we find here in verses 14 through 18. So let me just read through those verses with you again. You can look at them there in your message guide. Paul said, Nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, but you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent me a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I've received everything in full and have an abundance. I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Let me tell you this morning why Paul wrote the letter to the Philippian church. The letter to the Philippian church was, in many ways, Paul's thank you letter to those believers in Philippi who had sent him this gift while he was in prison in Rome. The Philippians knew that Paul was in prison. They knew that he had this tremendous need. So they said, we got to do something. We got to help. This is God's man. This is God's ministry. So they sent Epaphroditus on this perilous journey to Rome. You remember several weeks ago, we looked at Epaphroditus and you remember he almost died on, the, on this long journey to get this gift to Paul. So this is what was happening. This was the background. And you need to understand also that the church at Philippi was not a wealthy church. As a matter of fact, it was a poverty-stricken church. The people in the church were very poor, but they gave sacrificially to Paul, so sacrificially, in fact, that those verses tell us that Paul said, because of your gift, I'm not just supplied, I'm amply supplied. I have more than I need because of your gift. The Philippians saw this great need and they determined they were going to do something about it. So despite their own poverty and despite their own needs, they sacrificed not only their stuff, but they sacrificed themselves to make sure that God's man was taken care of and God's ministry was carried out. This is critical. This is the background. This is the context. So watch this. Here's what you need to see. When we talk about God meeting all of your needs, meeting all of my needs, church, the key to the vault of heaven is found in verse 17. This is the key to everything. Paul said, not that I seek the gift itself. I wasn't looking for what you were giving me, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Now follow this. That, that, that word profit, some, some translations have the word interest. That's a word that was borrowed from the world of finance. It was a banking term. See, there... There's a crucial principle here, church. Crucial principle. When the Philippians obeyed God and sent a gift to Paul, they were doing more than just sending a few dollars to Rome. They were actually making a deposit in the bank of heaven. They were making an investment in the things of God. Just like you do this morning if you give to this Gideon's ministry. 
You're, you're making an investment in the things of God. See, this gift from the Philippians not only reached Paul in Rome, it did that, but it reached way further than that. It reached God in his throne room in heaven. Do you see that in verse 18? Paul says your gift was a fragrant aroma. It was an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to who? To God. Paul not only received that gift, God received that gift, and he deposited that gift in the Philippians' heavenly account. That's what Paul means when he says, I'm not looking for just the gift. I'm looking at how your account in heaven has increased because of it. So Paul writes to the Philippians here and he says, you know what? You've been making deposits in the bank of heaven. You've been doing what God told you to do. You've been sacrificing for the cause of Christ. You've been investing in the kingdom of heaven. You've been building God's work. You've been living for the glory of God. You've put God's priorities before your own priorities. You've made God's thing your thing. And because you've done that, I've got some good news for you. My God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You see, church, please hear me. When you have a need, or when I have a need, and we go to God and we ask him to meet that need, you know what God does? God looks at my heavenly account to see what kind of deposits in the kingdom of heaven I've made. He looks at my account to see what kind of kingdom investments I've made. He looks to see what kind of involvement of my life in the priorities of God I've made. And I, I gotta tell you, church, if my heavenly account is empty, he may not meet my needs because there are insufficient funds. Are you with me? Yeah, there are insufficient funds. Listen, if you're a Christian, God has made all the resources of heaven available to you but he is no fool to cash a check on an empty account. No. Paul says when you have a need, God will meet that need because your heavenly account is full. Now, please don't misunderstand me. God always has the ability to meet your needs. Always. But again, he's no fool to cash a check on an empty account. No bank on earth does that, neither does God. Now, in times of grace, aren't you glad he's a God of grace? <laughs> in times of grace, he may still come through for you. He does that. But he's not obligated to do it. You want to know when you can live above your life circumstances? You want to know how to live when you have a need, knowing that God's going to come through for you, whatever that need is. There's only one way you can have that kind of confidence. You have to make God's priorities your priorities. God's agenda, your agenda. God's thing, your thing. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of heaven 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these other things that you might need, then they can be yours as well. You see, and you can fill in the last blanks here. When I meet the conditions in verses 14 through 18, God's then obligated in verse 19. He promises to meet my needs. And that means I can live with confidence. Knowing that God is God, He is who He says He is. And He will do for me whatever I need for Him to do for me. Because I have made His kingdom and His righteousness the obsession of my life. Do you have that kind of confidence in God this morning? Do you know? Is it a rock-ribbed, solid, unshakable assurance that whatever your need is, God will come through for you? That's how you live with confidence. That's how life can be wonderful even when it's not perfect. You've learned the secret of contentment in life. You've learned the secret of having real confidence in God to meet your needs, whatever they are. I you to bow your head with me this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time and we thank You for Your Word. And we thank You for this incredible promise. We've looked at two incredible promises over the last two weeks. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And my God will meet all of my needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Oh God, if we can claim those two things, we don't need anything else. We can live with assurance. We can live with joy. We can know that no matter what life throws at us, we can have the victory through the one who loved us and gave himself for us. God, would you bring us to that place this morning where we become content in who we are, what we have or what we don't have. We've learned the secret of being content in, every and every, in, in any and every situation. God, would you bring us to the point this morning where we have that unshakable confidence in you, knowing that no matter what our need may be, you have promised to meet it. And Lord, if we're living lives outside of those realities, then Lord, I pray today you'll bring us back, center our lives underneath the person of Christ and the authority of your word and the control of your Holy Spirit. That we might be the people you've called us to be. It's not really hard. We can't do it in our own strength, but it's, it's not really difficult. Your word makes it very clear that we need to become preoccupied with Christ and we need to make your priorities our priorities. 
And when we do that, God, you give us contentment. When we do that, you give us the kind of confidence we've talked about today. And Lord, that will enable us to go out of these doors, experiencing the reality that life is and can be wonderful, even though it's not perfect. And we can live in the fullness of who we are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, if there are any decisions that need to be made this morning, at the point of this message perhaps, or if there's someone here today who does not know Christ in a personal life-changing way, oh God, may today be the day they embrace, embrace Jesus as Lord and Savior, receive his gift of salvation, receive his forgiveness. Or maybe there's someone here this morning who needs a church home and a church family. and This is the place, God, where you would lead them to come and help be difference makers with us here in our church, in our community, in our nation, and among the nations. So, Lord, we give you this time of invitation and commitment. Use it however you want to use it for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Would you join me in standing? <clears throat> We're going to sing together this morning all to Jesus. I surrender. And if you need to respond to him this morning, in any way, these altars are open. You can come and pray. I'd be honored to pray with you if I can, someone who's walking this journey with you. But this is your opportunity. You come right now as God speaks to your heart. Lindsay, as you lead us.